Before we start, I have a quick word from this episode's sponsor. The University of Nevada, Las Vegas invites artists to apply for the Fall 2024 Masters of Fine Arts program in art. UNLV's three-year fully funded program with an emphasis on creative practice offers 24-hour access to private studios, graduate assistantship funding, and opportunities to engage with a dynamic roster of visiting artists, all within the unique context of Las Vegas. We welcome artists from diverse backgrounds who want to participate in the dialogues within contemporary art and culture through art making and exhibition to apply by February 1st, 2024. Visit unlv.edu art to learn more. Hey everyone, welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. Hi everyone, I hope you're doing well. These recent days have been shrouded in a really somber tone, although perhaps it has always been like this. I am both saddened and angered by what is happening in the Middle East. As a method to cope through it all, I'm trying to keep busy and seek solace in my daily activities. Wherever you are, I hope you are finding your own ways to navigate this insane situation. With all that said, today I'm interviewing Kindo Miller, Kindo spent their formative years in Guam before moving to Las Vegas. They earned a BFA at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and explores isolation, rituals, and repetition through the medium of painting, drawing, installation, video, and sound. They have exhibited at venues such as the Goldwell Open Air Museum, Fifth Wall Gallery, La Montadora Gallery, and the Las Vegas Contemporary Art Center. Our discussions lead us to empty tarot cards, musing about art residencies, the process of archiving everything, and documenting a sense of place. So wherever you are, be safe, take care of yourself, and I hope you enjoy this. Yeah, well, I moved to the States in uh, like 1999. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like 10 oh, wow. when my family moved to the states yeah it's been a really long time but i guess like moving and like it's been an interesting experience like melding those two kinds of worlds of like being from guam and then being from vegas but yeah we moved to vegas for job opportunities and he wanted to start a better life for us here yeah yeah so yeah yeah he didn't want us and growing up on the island he wanted us to be to like expand our minds and stuff what were you thinking when you were like forced to move I guess at that age it was it was pretty jarring because I was like in the middle of like the fourth grade yeah when it happened they it was like right before I just remember right before the school was ending like I didn't even get to like do the whole graduation kind of end of the year ceremony with the kids Mm -hmm. in my class and we just kind of like pulled us out in the middle of school and then we were like 
we're going to and I thought we were going to like LA that's what my dad said or like what everyone was telling me you're going to LA you're going to LA Hollywood Hollywood yeah we're going to Hollywood we're going to LA and I was like excited and I was like but it was also framed at the time when I was a kid that it would be a, a small trip that we would be coming back uh, to Guam yeah yeah so I didn't pack for like the leaving forever uh, <laughs> we just like I packed very lightly thinking we were like oh it's a vacation and we're coming back uh, was what shit. was like implied with the trip so when we were gone we were gone and then I was like oh I didn't know I was never gonna see anybody again <laughs> so it was, damn it was just like ooh, 20 years later so yeah. what was something that you wish you brought if you had known if I had known oh that's a good question that's interesting because well I guess at the time at the time when I was a kid I had like a collection of mechanical pencils that was like specific in this box and I had like all my drawing stuff so like when I was a kid like I had all my like drawing things and I like didn't bring any of that because mm. I thought it was a vacation yeah so I was like oh I just remember thinking like at the time I was like dang my box was like all like my mechanical pencils <laughs> and, my, and my eraser <laughs> and like my cool like I just I yeah. just, it was like drawing stuff that was like the main thing that I remember thinking about and just like missing it yeah. but then I was like oh well I'm in the states now so I guess there's more drawing stuff that I could just go get yeah yeah so yeah so you were always drawing then yeah I was always drawing like since I was like a kid some of my earlier drawings were always like of uh cartoons I think the first cartoon that I ever tried to copy was uh Rocco's Modern Life okay yeah like there's a like at the very end of the credits yeah on Rocco's Modern Life they show like yeah the still drawings where like Rocco's like his brain's going out of his head. And then I was like, that was like one thing I wanted to like copy. So I remember like okay. putting the paper up to the screen and like really oh wow, kind of tracing it. Yeah. And then, and then like kind of like drawing it by memory. Yeah. Yeah. Just like his eyes, like in his brain flying out. <laughs> it was like the, the super early, <laughs> earliest drawings that I. So that age, did you know you wanted to be an artist? I think so. I think I just really enjoyed it. I didn't really think about it as being like an artist, I guess. I was just like yeah. something that I just did. And then you got your BFA at UNLV, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, what happened? After I got the BFA, I was a bit, I was like, well, I guess I'll just like, just keep making art and, try, and trying to figure out how, how best to live, you know? Yeah. But yeah, at the time, it's 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 always rough growing up because it's like struggling. Like it's it's always like you know you're living the dream and feeling the fantasy, but you're like, how do I how do I make money? <laughs> how do yeah. I live? Was your, was your dad and mom worried? <laughs> uh, they were not really. No, they weren't no. worried. They were just kind of no. like, you should you have to get you have to get a job. You have to get you have to get out of here. <laughs> They're like, you need to move out. <laughs> like, <laughs> get out of the home. So I was, get out of the home, figure it out, go get some wings and go, go, <laughs> go fly free. So yeah, <laughs> I guess that's, a, that's just kind of what I did. But I always knew that like working jobs, I, I worked retail for so long. So I worked for uh, 
one of my earliest jobs was American Apparel, so working oh, okay. for the clothing company. They went bankrupt, didn't they? They did. They did. Right? Like okay. they filed for like Chapter Eleven in like yeah two thousand ten something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That um CEO is also super problematic. Yeah. Yeah. And I met that guy, and he's actually a real psycho. Really? <laughs> he, he like would come into the stores. And he would like yell at everyone. Just yell yeah. at everybody. It was terrible. That's everyone who's in power, I think. Yeah. Yeah. True. But yeah, working shitty retail jobs <laughs> it was, it was pretty, <laughs> pretty far. But I always knew that I didn't want to work like a full time job because I always knew that like, oh, once I get to like a nine to five or something yeah. like super 40 hours a week grindy i would never have time and i always so you knew to that make art. yeah but at the same time it's like how are you gonna make the money to fund any of your projects <laughs> and it's I like know. it's, so, it's yeah, big the balance is yeah it's the the balance and then i eventually like stopped working retail and i i kind of like i took a trip to india I saved up enough money from my retail jobs and was like, I need to just pursue art. It's a residency, so I just, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did a residency in India and that was really enlightening and fun. And like seeing like the kind of possibilities that being a full artist can be in a, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> how, how long were you there? I was only supposed to be there for like one month, uh -huh. but I ended up staying for like two or three months oh that's a good amount out there of time. because i ended up making some friends there's a guy who ran the first residency and he was like i have another residency mm, like up in uttarakhand so he was like why don't you just come with yeah yeah and just yeah, keep yeah, yeah. going he's like yeah and i was like what do you have to go back to and i was like i kind of don't have anything to go back to They're like let's just keep the ball rolling <laughs> so like, i did the double residency so that was pretty fun, but I also came back super broke and had no money. And then I was like, well, back to, back to back retail. To the grind. Yeah. Back yeah. to that. Yeah. So it was like, okay, I take time off from retail and then just jump right back into retail after all that. But I don't know. Life goes on. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's yeah. good that, you know, as long as you can make it work for you. Right. I think someone once told me. I don't think this, this works anymore, but in the past, like you first get a job and save enough money, then you quit your job and see how long you can be an artist for. And then when you run out of money, you go back to the job or another job, make some money, <laughs> save it, and then quit your job. And each each time you need to like lengthen the time that you're an artist, you know, mm -hmm. but like this, this was this advice was given by someone who like was sort of like in like Soho, New York when they were still developing, when things weren't so crazy then. But in terms of price stuff, right? I think now it's really hard with, you know, getting a job and having enough to live off of. But yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's exactly like that. You're just kind of moving from one phase to another, I think. Yeah, so I eventually realized this is not a very sustainable form of living. And <laughs> I actually have... <laughs> I'm 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 have to work those forty hours, but I don't even work forty hours. <laughs> I finally got a full time job, but 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 they give you lots of time off. Yeah, 
yeah, there's a lot of flexibility with this job. So I'm, yeah, yeah. and I've been at it for the last seven years now. That's great. Yeah. Stable. So did any of the work from India make it through, like in the sense that it transformed your practice or as your first art residency and I don't know, maybe being India for a first time, or maybe it was just hanging out, partying, you know, I always, <laughs> I always, my, my, my philosophy for residencies is the first two weeks you do nothing. You like, just take it all in, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I told my, I told, I told my friend this and, and then she's like, all right, for her first residency. And she just spent like two weeks watching television in her, <laughs> in her dorm. And then she told, she told me later, like everyone was like, thought she was like, crazy because like she went to this residency to watch television and she's like well my friend told me you just relax for two weeks so that's what I <laughs> yeah I mean there was a lot of activities though so like those residencies yeah. were they were super planned out like they had mm. they had activities for us like every yeah every day so they yeah. they had us visiting villages and like talking mm. to the residents there and like meeting yeah. people and we were like experiencing all their festivals so we would go to the a nearby village who was celebrating a certain celebration and they would like have their festivals and we would just join in and be a part of it it was really cool that's awesome it was like i remember one of the villages that we went to they had these like they built these like giant god sculptures but they were uh -huh. out of like paper but they were like huge and they were like masks that you like went inside of and they were like very tall kind of like god-like creatures and they would like fit inside of them and they would like make them battle and run around it was just so like cool seeing like that kind of sculpture mm. and they had a lot of bulls and they made a lot of bull sculptures that were like that people like sat inside of too and controlled. It was really, really awesome being a part of all that. Yeah. So seeing all that art, I'm like, wow, man, the style is like kind of made me draw a lot of uh, different things to draw. So I was like, mm. I took a lot of influence by like, or just like the things that I saw and then just started drawing them. That That's kind of like informed a lot of the drawing practice mm. that I had. And I made this like, sculpture that was that was like these old tarot cards okay that like my dad had given me that had no drawings mm -hmm. on them it was just a weird tarot get tarot deck the weirdest Wait, deck uh, it came not drawn yeah there was no drawings on this tarot card deck huh. like because you know how you look at tarot cards yeah, and yeah. they have like yeah. the magician yeah they have yeah, the, yeah, it, but yeah. it, it yes yeah. so this one this weird thing that my dad gave me was like it was like the sephiroth 12 nodes of Sephiroth so it just had all these like it's like the tree of Sephiroth and it's like has all these yeah. nodes and it's like 12 circles with like a bunch of lines that connect and cross into each other mm. and like depending on each node it made me really like get into spirituality from a more like technical standpoint because mm. it was like you had to understand all these symbols and all these nodes and what they meant to like right, right. really understand astrology it yeah <laughs> like super technical astrology it's super weird so i ended up doing drawings like making my own drawings on the tarot based on the tarot cards as informed by like what i was experiencing at the time of being in those mm. residencies that was one really cool artwork that came out of those residencies i was pretty proud of yeah it's good when 
something comes out that is useful. I mean, it's always hard to tell, right? I feel like a lot of these resumes are sort of like these crapshoots where like you hope something happens, but you don't want to force it too much. Right. Right. And you also want to be able to like experience the place, right? You, you've usually you've mm-hmm. taken up time and saved up money to have this opportunity, right? Because, you know, usually you put your job on hold or, you know, still have to pay the rent at home. And so it's definitely something that I feel is this weird. I think it's like this weird part of the art job. If yeah. that is like something that uh, is important to your practice, right? Not everyone does residencies. But I, I do feel like it's this weird thing that like, I think people are like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell people I'm going to their art residency. And they're like, what is that? And then like, it's I feel like this whole thing to explain <laughs> exactly like- what it is and... Because yeah. they're just like, you're just going on vacation. <laughs> like, yeah. You're just, you're just like, going to art. You're, you're going to art camp. Yeah. Art camp. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. is. It is an art camp. But I mean, that's what part of being an artist is. It's yeah. like, I, I came here to experience the world and I want to experience it in <laughs> every form possible. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I know. If you can, right? Travel, meet people. <laughs> So one thing that I'm actually really interested in about your work, and I think it, it actually intersects a lot with my own, is this idea of like um, myth making, maybe speculative fiction, and mm-hmm. this idea of storytelling, which enter your work, I think, in also different ways than I would approach it, which I, I do find interesting. Um, I know you have this sort of science fiction like uh, performance audio piece called Ansible. But I'm curious for you, how do you kind of use this cultural uh, memory of place, right? I mean, I was actually really struck by this idea that you were kind of told by your dad that you're going to move and then not really (laughs) knowing you'd be back. And then so I felt like this idea that you left something behind resonated with me in in a way that I guess I never imagined, right? Because I also moved when I was, I think, 14 or 15 and for me, that was, my parents claimed it was like really traumatic. I think it was traumatic for me. Oh. I just hated the move as well. But it wasn't, it wasn't the same thing, right? Like I knew I was moving. I was just sort of like I was going to a new place and I lost all my friends and all that stuff. But for you, it was like different. And so I guess I'm curious for you how you use this material and, and you know, what, what, what does that kind of look like in terms of influencing your work? Yeah, so... I guess it like really psychologically influences my work in like a, in a real way. Like I did a series, (laughs) which like after, or like, I guess during and after undergrad, I Mm -hmm. started just like documenting a sense of place. So like, that's where this kind of like morning room series came from Mm -hmm. because like, it was kind of a crazy period, tumultuous period of my life where you know, you're just kind of rambunctious 20 year old ish and you're just kind of like partying and doing whatever. Yeah. And then I started to just like document every place that like I was waking up in and like just like seeing like what was around me. So like that kind of informed that kind of like experience, just like being able to like kind of archive and like just document everything where I'm at like at every single moment Mm -hmm. it becomes a little bit like obsessive because I guess like yeah because I'm so afraid of like losing everything all the time Mm. that I do end up becoming a little bit like I get in like manic modes of like (laughs) over archiving (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) 
like right now this current series that like I'm starting is like watching all this like old home video of like footage from like when I was younger. That your dad and mom shot? Yeah, but also in high school when I got hold of the video camera and I was like uh-huh. getting like starting to like document stuff. Yeah. Like I was yeah, I yeah. would just film stuff while I was like in high school. Mm. So like now I'm just like watching all of this footage again and kind of I guess like reliving those moments, but also like hyper <laughs> hyper archiving where I started like a data spreadsheet and started like right now the process is writing out brief summarizing like what's in that footage and like Mm. markers to like indicate parts of footage that I could possibly like use Mm. for like this next art project that I'm working on it's gonna be a video work obviously and it's like just gonna be like edited footage of all this kind of old home video stuff that I had taken and that my mom and dad had taken yeah so (laughs) making all that I don't know it's it's just, I'm gonna make it into like this karaoke process, and I notice there's a pattern too. It's like it's all like seeing patterns. Why karaoke? Karaoke. It's like it because it's something that's like been like traditional in my family. Like where like I notice that like that's the one thing that like bonds everybody together mm. is karaoke, and it's like mm. it's something that has been it's like tradition. I've seen my my mom and dad do it. Like they've done karaoke when I was a little kid. And then I, growing up, it's just like karaoke yeah. has been like the one thing yeah. that it's like always been. And even yeah. now, even like in my 20s and 30s, it's like karaoke. Let's go to karaoke. It's like that's the one. <laughs> so like I'm I'm compiling like this long track list of like all of these songs. I don't know. It's probably going to be like way too long. I'm going to have to like trim it down. But what my next art piece is going to be this kind of video artwork, but I'm going to make my own karaoke machine, but it's going to be kind of forced karaoke. So you can't choose the songs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just going to be songs that are playing. And then it's going to be like, you either engage or you don't. For the audience or for, or for you? For both. I think okay. I might make it like a combination of like either performance and yeah. <laughs> performance video yeah, <laughs> like yeah, forced yeah. audience participation yeah. <laughs> yeah so they're gonna be singing along to the songs that your parents and you and and your family song is that what's gonna happen yeah that's what's gonna uh, like bond this whole thing together and I it's see, gonna be like this combination of just like cumulative life experience that is just gonna all meld into like one combobulated thing i think <laughs> I think. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> you know, uh, karaoke, I think, was really important to my development as an artist. Really? Like, so I didn't grow up with karaoke. And growing up, I don't think I had much of a musical background. Like, my parents were not the type to play music all the time. And my brother and sister took music classes, but I took art classes. Mm-hmm. So my mom's like, you know, you can't like do everything. So just focus on your art. So, uh, and I was never naturally drawn <laughs> to music. So like, basically I don't have, I feel like some of the basic toolkits to be potentially just okay at karaoke, like, you know, remembering tunes, remembering melodies and so forth and mm-hmm. knowing songs. Right. So then in grad school, I think karaoke was like a really big part of all the grad students after doing like the kind of group 
critiques that they did every week. And I was like, if I could like overcome this fear of doing something like that I'm terrible at, right? I felt mm -hmm. like I could then do stupid shit in my art because like I've already yeah. made a fool of myself. So yeah, so I always felt like being able to like overcome my fear of like doing something absolutely stupid, mm -hmm. not stupid, just like something I'm terrible at. Yeah. Free, free myself to like do bad performance, whatever bad performance is. Right. And, and film myself yeah. in front of a camera and experiment because like whatever, you know? Yeah. That is a very like freeing and like informative process too. Like just like being able to move past your fear. I guess that does come in part of it too. Like the performance aspect, like, I don't know, every time I sing karaoke, it's still scary. Even, even though it's like, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how much karaoke experience you have in the world. It's just like yeah, every yeah. time it happens, it's like your name's coming. It's there's an anxiety that happens to it where you're like, Oh shit, I gotta do good. And you're like, Oh, you yeah, need yeah. to put it on. You need, you have to turn it yeah. on. And then you take and a deep breath and you're like, all right, Let's go. Yeah. And then and I think it's yeah. like everybody has that fear, like, oh, like, oh shit, I suck at singing, you know? And like and yeah, you yeah. bomb a song. Every everyone bombs a song. It's yeah. it's not every time and not every song is gonna be a good song. <laughs> and it and it is just like it's a matter of just like pushing through it. It's like the endurance aspect of it is something that like I kinda am interested in this this kind of performative work yeah. performative aspect to it too. It's just like just going, going through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorting through the muck. But yeah, karaoke is like the one thing that I noticed watching all these home videos, mm. which is like, it's, I never, I can't believe I haven't noticed it before. It's just so mm. like in my face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, were there other like endurance performance or things that you've done that's similar to this? I guess like endurance is like, is something that I'm starting to think about now. I mm. haven't mm. really dived too heavily into it. Mm. I guess there's a this text work that I did a really long time ago where I was trying to write words like like over and over and over again, yeah, yeah. but like within a time frame. So I, I was yeah. like experimenting with like like how fast you could write it and just like keep writing, keep writing, mm. and then have that be like the words would change because like you would have a spelling error when you were mm -hmm. writing. Yeah, yeah. And then if you just kept writing, it would like, you would make mistakes. But then as you mm -hmm. kept writing, the word would lose its meaning. Yeah, yeah. That's something that I was kind of experimenting with in the past. That artwork never really fully coalesced, I think. But it is it is something that was like in the back of my brain. <laughs> yeah. well, it's a, germ it's a, it's yeah. a germinating idea, right? Like... There's yeah. no rule that you can't That's go true. back to a piece, you know? That's true. Ideas always come and go. Yeah. But, like, that piece, Ansipo, as I understood it, was also inspired by science fiction. I was curious, like, what were some of the science fiction books that you were kind of thinking about when you made that piece? The description was, like, you know, there's, it's solar-powered and, like, and then it's, like, making music to create a connection to, like, extraterrestrials or something like that right yeah 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 the whole piece was actually a, a speaker it was a motion activated so it was actually uh, like okay. motion activated from the outside so like 
if you made a movement outside of it, then the sound would like react. Uh... So that that's kind of what the piece was. But we kind of just like, this was a collaborative piece between me and my partner. <laughs> so uh-huh. they, they kind of were more in the science fiction side of it. Oh, okay. And okay. It, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, we were on the more like construction side of it. But we kind of thought of the name because it was actually just like Ansible. It's an anagram for the word lesbian. <laughs> so it was kind of just like really funny, like lesbians in space. <laughs> We're just kind uh, of like see, really thinking about like, and uh, the whole idea was a bit exploring like the ideas of like what's alien to us. And then we were watching these mm. like nature documentaries and like how ants and like termites build these kind of forms in the ground right right yeah those yeah 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 those really tall mounds and they're like but they're like sheets of sand and we were like really inspired by that so we were we wanted to make like a piece that was like kind of reference to those science fiction bug movies that kind of like think about so not necessarily books but just from like tv and like watching like that movie with the ants. It was called Ants and they had giant ants. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember the title, but it had giant ants in it. And then uh-huh. we watched Dune, obviously, together. And like we're interested in like desert sandworm type mythologies. So yeah. getting yeah. into like just creatures. And it was a really like fun piece to just play around and make some stuff up. Yeah. For your works, how do you kind of see... Las Vegas influencing your work as a place. Mm. I mean, you, you you wrote in your bio like how important it is, this idea of sense of place. So I'm just curious mm-hmm. for you, like wh- what for you, how do you see Vegas? That's interesting. Yeah, Vegas was kind of like, a, well, now it's like changed. I see it more yeah. like a home. But in the past, it's definitely been something that I was like, always trying to get away from because like when you're a kid you're kind of like there's nothing i can do here and this place is just filled with gambling which is is funny because every adult wants to go there right i know yeah and then i'm like oh i hate i I grew up hating it because it was like Mm. oh there's cigarette smoke everywhere everyone's just addicted and gambling and wasting their money i was kind of a cynic growing up here so like i guess like seeing all of that has made me like to it but growing up now and then seeing like being an adult living here and then I'm like wow what a great place <laughs> actually, I might, my feelings towards it have completely changed and it's more like I, I've been seeing it like the idea of like risk and reward mm-hmm. is something that's like interesting to me like psychologically the mm-hmm. idea of, of as Vegas as a place psychologically is so like like walking through these casinos and feeling like you're mm. wandering in a labyrinth. And then there's all these like sounds, all the machines, they make the noises. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like meditative. It's like conceptually Vegas is like this like hole you can kind of get like stuck in. And it's like, that's interesting to me as a place of like study for like psychological addiction. Yeah. And for me it's like sexually it's it's a it's an interesting place yeah yeah like walking through the casinos i like to do that from time to time like just like notice all the patterns and and the repetition of of things happening 
I guess I'm curious if you think your work, how your work is tied to the place of Vegas with all this, everything that you just told me. <laughs> or maybe it's not, or maybe it doesn't have to, or maybe, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be. I was curious, I was more asking given this idea of, you were kind of, kind of telling me this idea of sense of place between Guam, mm-hmm. this idea, this mythology of what you imagine where you grew up and also the mythology of, as you were just talking about Vegas. Yeah, I think that like, I guess like the relationship between Guam and Vegas is that like Guam is such like a a homey like paradise kind of place, mm-hmm. but it also still has like like seeing it now as an adult, it still has its like problems with colonialism and mm-hmm. seeing all that happen to the island and how it gets like rampant with political disarray. Yeah. But like thinking about that with Vegas too, it's like the same thing happens here too. Yeah. There's sin everywhere. It's not just like Sin City. It's just like, but or, or just like correlating the ideas of the two of the weather is like both hot and like scalding. And it, there's still like a sense of like, you have to like survive in both places. Yeah. yeah. I guess is kind of the, the idea that I'm, that I think about of like mm. just being able to survive in yeah. in both environments kind of kind of kind of where my thought process goes with with that for the for the moment and I think like also the childhood that I had like in Guam and I guess like the topography of Vegas is also always changing the casinos go up and the casinos come down you see like the demolitions change the landscape mm-hmm is like very different from what I've lived for like being here for over 20 years. And then like also in Guam, I've had those same like kind of landscape changes too, where like there was this place that my parents used to take me. It was like my grandfather's house-ish and we called it the ranch and we'd always drive there. And it was kind of like this grassy meadow kind of like trees and it had like a dirt road. And then there was like a path that would like connect both my uncle's house and my grandfather's house. And between like that path, there was like chicken coops and like calamansi trees, a calamansi grove. Uh That was like magical place that I had in like my childhood. And then going to visit in the last 20 years later, like realizing that like that place doesn't exist anymore. Mm. It's like a big hole in the ground that they ended up like excavating and using Mm. it for like a landfill and it's like oh Mm. that is just so like heartbreaking yeah yeah thinking about that and then like the landscape for vegas too is like always in flux so yeah uh (laughs) um as we're winding down do you want to give any plugs how can people find you get hold of what you're up to sure so you can find me uh on instagram at Kindo Miller, and I don't have Twitter. I don't use it. That's Q U I N D O M I L L E R. In case yes. you didn't know how to spell it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right on. And that's where people will be able to find me. Just Instagram for now. Just Instagram. Yes, I always update if there's a show on there, and and you can also find me at my website at 
Q-U-I-N-D-O-M-I-L-L-E-R.com, <laughs> which probably update there too. Then that's that. All right. Well, thanks oh, yeah. for chatting with me. Have a wonderful Sunday morning. Yeah. Well, good night, Z1. <laughs> yeah, good morning. <laughs> and did you have, have 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 good dreams? Thank you. All right. Bye. Yeah. Thanks, Z1. Bye. Seeing color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Z1 Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoy this show and have the time, I'd appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening, and goodbye for now.